Um, John, John 17 is where we're going to. So if you can open up your Bibles to there, I'd highly recommend it because we're reading the whole chapter. And uh, just like I did last time, we're going to be jumping through the chapter a lot. And um, it's quite a mission for the slides person to keep up with me jumping around the chapter if I'm not going nice and carefully verse by verse. And so uh, to help yourself out, have the, the chapter open in front of you. That way it's much more easy for you to reference and follow along and, um, and read. And once again, we really want you to connect with God's Word. Um, and um, so if you have the Bible open in front of you, it just helps. We're reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible um, and um, reading from the top of the chapter. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the works you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled." Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Let's just pray. So Father, we open up our hearts to you. We want to receive from you this morning. We come before you as your sons and as your daughters, and we know it is your delight, Lord, to meet us right where we are at, in our weakness, in the burdens that we carry, in our frailty, in our sin and our mess. You love to meet us right where we are at because you are the God of kindness and love and compassion. And so come and meet us this morning, and please use your, your word to um, be like, a, um, like a, a balm, as Bryn prayed this morning, um, to our souls. We pray that we would find healing in the truth that are in um, these verses, that you would open up our eyes all the more to see you as you really are, and that you would change us, Lord. We want to be like you. We want to shine your light to this world, and we just invite you to come and minister to us so that that can happen. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone who agreed said, amen. So uh, just a little bit of a recap from last sermon. Um, John 17, it's the evening before Jesus is crucified. He's with his disciples. He's, he's handing over a few really key things to them as his final words before, uh, before, um, before his death. So key information, key marching orders, key things about him and about the Father. He's revealing it in these couple of chapters. And um, right here in John 17, what takes place is Jesus starts praying for his disciples that are there right in front of him in that very moment. And then he also prays for all the rest of of the people that will one day come to believe in Him as the Savior through the message of these disciples that will go out to the ends of the earth. 
And uh, what I w- um, want us to do over the l- previous week and this week is basically just look at some of the, the key things that Jesus, that I believe we need to understand from this passage and then help us to apply that rightly um, to our, us as individuals and, and the church. So the first thing that I highlighted in that previous sermon was that Jesus came to reveal God. Um, so there are many things that Jesus came to do on his mission here in the earth. Um, he came to save us as sinners, praise be to God. Um, he came to um, set the captives free. He came to heal broken bodies. He came to show compassion to a fallen world. There is so much that Jesus Christ came to do that he was on mission for. But one of the preeminent things, one of the chief things that Jesus came to do was to show us exactly what God is like. So even in the Old Testament, as they knew God, as they walked with God, as God gave them the laws, He gave them the prophets, they knew God, but only to an extent. Like I mentioned last time, it was like trying to stare at the sun, but there's clouds blocking your vision. But then when Jesus Christ shows up, who's the radiance of God's glory, it's like the clouds are removed, and all of a sudden we can see brightly, we can see clearly, we can see perfectly exactly what God is like. So the way that Jesus spoke, how He interacted with people, the things that He did, how He held Himself... These things are for you and I, the perfect revelation of God. So much so that when Philip said to Jesus, please let us see the Father, Jesus says to him, Philip, do you not realize that I've been with you all this time? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He's the perfect revelation of God. So we saw that last week. And, um, and Jesus kept on referencing this in this passage when he spoke about how I have glorified you. I have revealed your name. I've taken your word and I've made it known. He's just saying the same thing over and over again, but in a slightly different way. To glorify God, to reveal His name, to make known His word. It's Him just saying that I have put you on display, Father, and they now know what you are like. It's the first thing we saw. But then we saw that um, out of all the things that, that Jesus came to reveal to us about God's humility and about God's selflessness and ab- about God's uh, patience and about God's power and God's heart for mankind, out of all these things... What was the one main thing that when Jesus summarized this revelation, what was the one main thing that he wanted people to get? We see that the one main thing that he wanted people to get was that the Father loves us, and in fact loves the entire world the exact same way that the Father loves Jesus. Now that, when I, I mentioned that two weeks ago, I, it almost feels crazy to talk like that. It almost feels like, you know, it's making... Um, idols out of us as, as human beings. How could we possibly say that the creator of the universe, the one that holds everything together by the power of his word, the one that is the beginning and the end and the purpose for all creation, that this God and the persons within the Godhead and the love that they have for one another is the exact same love that this holy and glorious and omnipotent God has for you and I. It almost sounds crazy to talk like that, but what Jesus says that out of all the things that he wanted us to understand, about God and who God is, is that He is a being of unfathomable love, a being of of incomprehensible love, that there is no partiality in the way that this God loves. He looks at His own Son, that He has loved for all eternity. And that Son is perfect. There's, There's no fault in Him. There's no stain in Him. There's no spot in Him. He's never done anything to offend His Father He's only ever perfectly loved the Father in, the t- in, in, in return. And Jesus tells us that the way that the Father has loved Him is the exact same way that, Jesus, that the Father loves you. But unlike Jesus, you have sin. And unlike Jesus, you've got a whole bunch of reasons in your life why God shouldn't love you. Unlike, unlike Jesus, you've got all sorts of spots and all sorts of stains and all sorts of reasons for guilt and shame that we all carry around, but yet there is no partiality in the love of God. Jesus says that he came to reveal this to the world, that that is how radically the Father loves us. And then we saw that having this revelation changes absolutely everything. It changes everything. This is the biggest game changer in all of human history. For us to realize that this is how much God loves us. And we looked at some of the things that Jesus highlights for us, that this changes. The first thing we saw is that this revelation of God's love, it enables belief. Mankind are walking around blinded by the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan, that has convinced them that they're worthless, that has convinced them that they're valueless, that has convinced them that God's just angry at them. 
that has convinced them that they're not able to approach God like a loving father, but they've got to keep their distance from him. They should run away from him. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see God as he really is. And that's the main thing that he's using to keep people from coming to God. But we're told here that when people actually see that God is a being of love, that revelation is self-compelling. It's like a moth to the flame. When you see God for who he actually is, you don't have to convince people with your apologetics to follow after him. When they, when they see him for who he actually is, you don't have to strive. They would just want to follow. They would just want to surrender their lives. They will want to give themselves over in obedience because his love is so compelling. But Paul will say that it is the, the kindness, the patience of God that compels man to repentance. The second thing that we saw is that the revelation of God protects us from the evil one. All the lies that the enemy is still coming at you with this very day, you can guard yourself from when you just know how much the Father loves you. Because what's, what's the enemy going to do? He's going to come to you and say to you, hey, you don't really have much to offer here on earth. You don't, you don't really have many gifts. You don't really have much worth. Look at the family that you were born in. Look at the, the, the culture that you were raised in. Look at how weak you are. You can't even speak in front of people. He's going to come and remind you of your sin, the things that you've done wrong in your life, the ways that you have fallen short. He's going to point to the fruit or the lack of fruit in your life and say, oh, look, you don't have very much fruit to show. You've been following Jesus all these decades, and this is all the fruit that you have to show. He's going to come with all of these lies over and over and over again. And what we tend to do as Christians is we go into rebuking mode. I want to rebuke this lie and break that curse and drive out that demon. And, and like I said last time, I'm all for spiritual warfare. I'm all for casting out demons. I'm all for breaking generational curses. I'm all for these things, but that's not the main way you fight. The main way you fight is by realizing how much he loves you. By getting so immersed in the beauty and the glory and the majesty of how much he loves you. And that simple revelation is the one thing that you need to be protected from the enemy. Because then the enemy can come with whatever lies he wants to come with, and they're just not going to stick. The picture that always comes to mind for me on this, on this point is it's almost like when we're not immersed in, in love. Oh, you know with Velcro, you've got the fluffy side, and then you've got the, the rough side that like helps the two things to stick together. It's almost as though when you're so covered in the love of God, it's like, there's none of the fluffy bits on you. And so the devil comes with these lies that he wants to stick on you, and he's got nowhere to stick them. He's, he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. He wants to stick his, the lies on you, and he keeps on coming with them. But you're so covered in the love of God that there's nothing for him to stick on. It's so amazing that, that, that Sean ended up having that dream then just a week ago. I don't know if you remember for the call to worship, he had this dream where um, us as a church congregation, we were all... Um, in like one massive spiritual fight and they were all wrestling with demons and things like that and we can't get these demons off. And then in the, the dream, he said, I came up to him and said to him, Sean, what you have to do is rebuke him once and then just look to God and let him fight your battle. And he shared with us as the um, call to worship last week. It was like, that's exactly this, this truth. Yes, rebuke it, engage with it, break it, but then just shift your focus to God and let him step in for you. It's the nature of his love. The third thing that we saw is that the revelation of God stirs up the completeness of joy. If you want to know why Jesus was so happy, you know, so happy that like, like little kids that didn't even actually know him wanted to be around him. You know, it normally takes a happy sort of person to attract random kids to want to come and hang out with them. If you want to know why he could be betrayed by his best friends that have been walking with him for the last three years, and then the very next time he sees them, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he enters into the room and he says to them, peace be to you. There's no resentment, no bitterness, it's just joy still overflowing, it's just peace still overflowing. You want to know why? Because he knew how much the Father loved him. You won't get offended when people let you down if you're so covered in the love of God for you. We get offended when people let us down because we're still looking for fulfillment in the love that they are able to give us. 
But when you are so fulfilled in the love that God has for you, the whole world can let you down just like it did Jesus. And you'd get up and still bless people. The third thing that we saw, and then the fourth thing that we saw, that the revelation of God and how he loves, it sets us apart. So Jesus says that this truth is the thing that set him apart. And he says, Father, I pray that in the same way you would set them apart as you have set me apart by this truth. So if we want to be set apart for God's service, you know, in the workplace, you want to, re- you want to represent him really well. In, in all your dealings, deal fairly. And in all your conversations, speak with honesty and truth. And in the way that you relate to your colleagues, love them well. Then what you need is the revelation of how much the Father loves you. If you want to be a traveling evangelist, you know, that's going to set Australia on fire. And please tell me there's someone like this in the room. Um, but if, if that's what you're going to be, then the main thing that you need is not to go off to Alpha Crucis, even though that's a good Bible college. Um, over there, A.A. Ron. Um, that's not the main thing that you need. You don't need to sign up for a theological course. You don't need to go and, and travel with Daniel Kalenda and see him preach to millions of people in Africa. Those things might be good. But the main thing that you need is to know the love of God. As you know it for yourself, it's going to light a fire in you that whether you take it into the workplace or you take it out there into surface paradise, where you take it into your school, to your university, it's going to spread. It's the love of God that sets us apart for service. And so these are the things that we focused on just a week ago. That's a, a bit of a recap. I feel like I should just preach it as a brand new sermon again. I'm enjoying it too much. Um, but this morning, what I want to focus on is the two things we didn't get time to focus on that morning. And that is that, firstly, the revelation of God is the thing that produces community. And the second thing that Jesus highlights for us is that it's the revelation of God that actually fuels mission. So let's have a look at these. The revelation of God produces community. Um, so John 17, um, verse, verse 9 to verse 11. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me. So once again, protect them by your name is protect them by the revelation of who you are that is revealed in me. That's what he's saying there. So that they may be one as we are one. And then verse 20, verse 21, he says, I pray not only for these, so that is not just for my disciples that are here in front of me, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So that's all of us. In verse 21, he says, May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. So when Jesus is talking about oneness, he's talking about community. Another word for community is he's talking about family. So he says, I pray, Father, this revelation of how radically you love, that they would get it, and that them getting it would result in them becoming one just as you and I are one. So the same incredible unity that the Father and the Son shares is the same unity that you and I are invited to experience with one another in the body of Christ. The same agreement, the same affection, the same passion for one another, the same desire to bless each other, the same desire to, to, to serve one another, the same unity that is in the Godhead, it's the exact same unity that God wants between all of us here in this room this very day. And not just us, but even the Presbyterians. (laughs) Even, Even the Anglicans. Even the Methodists. Even the loopy Charismatics. Like all of us. God wants this incredible oneness that is reflected, that we can see in the Godhead to be the oneness that we all experience with one another. And he says, the thing that is going to make this happen is you understanding the love of the Father. So I'm excited about this because um, at at the start of this year, Pat and I, we love to seek the Lord at the start of the year to be like, Father, what do, you, what do you have in store for us for this year? Now, God has every prerogative, like every right 
to not tell us what he has in store for the year and just to do his, his um, total own thing. And of course, much of the time, he does that in so many ways. Um, but 2020, he spoke to us about a whole bunch of different things like, like intimacy, like us hearing his voice, um, things like that that he wanted us to prioritize. And then throughout 2020, we saw him teaching us so much in all those areas of the life of the church. 2021, same thing. We sought the Lord again. We Lord, what do you have in store for this year? What do you want to do? And instead of giving us a whole bunch of things, a handful of things, God just gave us one thing. And it was just the word community. So this is, this is the one thing, community. Now, I, I feel like just like I did with the other points, like intimacy and like hearing God's voice, like I was doing all right at it. Like I think, I think I get community. I think I understand how this thing works. What I've come to realize with God is you should never think like that. You should, you, should, you should never think like you've actually arrived and that you understand it now because He just blows your mind over and over again. Like He always becomes better than what you thought He was before. His ways always become more beautiful than what you thought they were before. There's always something deeper in your heart that He needs to deal with that you thought, you know, He's gone all the way to the very bottom of me and He's pulled out the deepest, darkest sin and that thing's been dealt with. No, there's still more stuff that He wants to heal by His love that's even deeper. And so God told us, this is the year that we're going to learn what community is all about. And so on one hand, we're tempted to be like, okay, this is what it's going to look like. We're going to start community groups. We're going to put in place this particular model of cell groups. We're going to host these particular barbecues. We're going to do more like meet and greet sort of things. And it's, it's a real temptation to go in the arm of the flesh and say, oh, I've seen community being done before. This is how we're going to do it. But we're trying really hard to say, no, no, God, we want you to teach us. We want you to show us. And on one hand, it looks slower because we're not rushing ahead and doing something. But on the other hand, we just really want to know what He wants. You know, we want the church to be everything that He intended for the church to be, not what we came up with in our own mind, in our, in our, in our, in our own thinking. And so I'm excited that, that God is already starting to speak to us in places like John 17 because it's giving us just a glimpse of some of the beautiful things that He's doing here in the life of our church. This radical oneness that he's speaking about here in John 17, that's the radical oneness that the Father wants to produce here in our midst over 2021. That's really exciting. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about this. But as we think about, okay, so what does, this, what does this mean? At least, at the very least, if, like if, if, if we're saying, okay, it doesn't mean necessarily sour groups or doing more church barbecues or these sorts of stuff, like what does it mean? I feel like I can confidently say that at the very least, it means that we need to be a people who genuinely love each other with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? That at very least, like without being presumptuous here, we could say that it means we've got to love each other with the love of Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to consider how often God talks about this in His Word. Jesus spoke about this and said that there is no other command that we actually have at the end of the day than just to love. He says in John 15 verse 12, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. It's so important that he said this is the one command that I, that I give to you. Then he said that the entire law and prophet, so everything that we have in our Old Testament, can be summarized in the simple command. He says in Matthew 22 verse 37 verse 39, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great, greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Then the Apostle Paul said that everything in the Old Testament is contained in this command as well. He says Galatians 5 verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And then again in Romans 13 verse 8, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. James, the brother of Jesus, the, the, uh, the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, he says in James 2, he says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law, so this, the great, fancy, elevated law, the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. The apostle Peter said that this is the one thing you have to have above all. He says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, maintain constant love for another, since love covers a multitude of sins. So above all, 
everything else that you do in the Christian life, like work on your music ability so that you can be a, a better worship leader, or, um, or go and get training at Bible college, or go and develop your, uh, your talents, whatever it might be, says above all, like everything else that you're doing for Jesus, just love. And then 1 Corinthians 13, a famous passage, verse 1 to verse 3, Paul says, if I speak human or angelic tongue but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So no matter what I do, even if, if I were to give my body to the flames and die as a martyr for the name of Jesus Christ, even if I were to do that, but I was, wasn't motivated by love, and if love wasn't what led me to do this, then at the end of the day, it's totally insignificant in the eyes of God. So it's nothing more than religious noise at the end of the day. Nothing more than just a clanging symbol that is quite offensive to God's ear if there's not love. And this is what, this is what we see in the Old Testament. And God rebuking Israel generation after generation after generation, saying things to them like, I don't want to hear your songs anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't want your, your solemn assemblies. I don't want your fasts anymore. I don't care how hungry you feel or how long you've gone without eating. None of that matters anything to me if you're not caring for the orphan, if you're not caring for the widow. He's just saying that love is the one thing that makes all of this matter. It's the one thing that gives significance to everything that we do. As a father, as a mother, as a brother and sister, as a friend, love is the one thing that gives any significance to anything that you do. It's love. And so, if we're going to foster a community, you know, the method that we use at the end of the day sort of becomes irrelevant. Those things can help. But what we have to go after as a people with every fiber of our being, say, I want to love like Jesus loves me. I don't want to harbor any sort of resentment in my heart towards a brother or sister. I don't, I don't want to look at someone I don't want to look at someone and not see the worth in them that God sees in them. No, I don't, I don't want to judge someone by just appearances. That's the thing that we have to set our hearts on if we're going to cultivate a real community here in this place. God, teach me to love as Jesus loves me. So it means we've got to know each other deeply. We've got to love each other deeply. We've got to care for each other deeply. These are all things that are absolutely necessary. Even as we talk about hosting God's presence, which we love talking about here as a church, we want to host His presence really well, right? We want this to be a place where God loves dwelling. You know, where God loves showing up. Where God loves doing things like healing bodies and lifting burdens and, and, you know, changing people's lives. That's what we want this place to be. We want to host His presence really well. And part of that means is that we've got to be like a temple. That's what the Bible talks about. So the dwelling place of God is the temple. And now in the new covenant, we as His people are the temple. And what we tend to do when we think about a temple is that means, okay, I've got to bring my offerings before Him. It's good and right. So we want to come before Him and worship. We want to come before Him and pray. We want to come and give our lives to Him as a pleasing sacrifice. 100% all of that is true. But do you realize what the temple is, is built of? We're told that it says we to come together as living stones. As we come together as bricks, so to speak. We form this spiritual structure that God is pleased to come and dwell in. So what is it that binds one brick to the other brick? It's love. 
That's it. If, if we're going to host the presence of God and see the glory of God made manifest here in our midst and all the ways that God promised that we would get to see, if you want to see the greater things that Jesus said the church would see in our day, the greater things than what he did, then it is absolutely necessary that we bind ourselves together in love. Because that is what creates this holy structure that God will come and manifest his glory in. So community, it needs radical Jesus-like love. So back to John 17 then, where is this community going to come from? Now, what are you going to do about it? How, how are we going to make this happen? So just last year, God started speaking to me a lot about two big things in my life. The one was my marriage and the other one was my parenting. And um, it was one of those things where, you know, I mentioned before, you're like, we're silly for thinking that God's taught us everything that we need to know about something. Because God was just hammering at this point all year long to do with my marriage and to do with my parenting. And um, once again, I was having dreams about it, and people were giving me words about it. And it was, it was, in one hand, it was really hurting because, you know, God's touching some, like, sensitive parts of your heart that's, you know, there's stuff down there that you've covered up, and um, He's touching it. And He wants to heal, and He wants to restore it, and He wants to make you whole so that you can love better. And so the one hand, it was hurting. But out of that, it was also causing me to feel quite anxious and to feel quite burdened because I'm so aware of ways that I'm falling short as a husband or as a parent, and I just want to change. Like, I don't want to be like that anymore. And so I started trying to strive to change. Like, I'm just going to make myself a better husband, and I'm just going to make myself a better father. I'm just going to try harder, which is how we all tend to respond when God starts speaking to us about stuff. It's like, you know what the solution is? I'll just try harder. I'll just give more effort. I'll just pull harder at those bootstraps and try to make things happen. And so it was like that for me many, many times last year, and God kept having to bring me back to the fact that that's just not how we change. It doesn't happen like that. We don't just decide, I'm going to change, and then we just be better. You might be able to, you know, start showcasing some outward change for people looking on, but the heart change is never going to happen like that. The lasting change is never going to happen like that. So... If we're going to be this community of radical, cruciform, Jesus-like love, then what, is it, what do we need? Well, 1 John 4 verse 19 says, we love because He first loved us. And that settles it. We love because He first loves us. First loved us. So as you and I experience the crazy love that God has for us, you know, the wild love that God has for us, the, the, the love that you cannot comprehend as you get to know that and experience it in your life, that is the thing that changes you. So, now we're 2021, how am I going as a father? How am I going as a husband? I'm going better. Is my wife in the room? Can she testify? I don't know where she is. She's in the back. She testifies. Great. It's been very awkward. She was just quiet. I'm going better, but I can tell you that what changed me was not trying more. What changed me was that God started revealing to me in deeper and deeper ways His love for me last year. And I heard someone say this week, at the end of the day, every broken father is just a son that never really learned they were loved. Just to be clear, I have a great father, but the love that he has is unlike anything that we've ever seen or ever experienced in our lives. And it's as you experience that love, that's the thing that changes you from the inside out. We love because he first loved us. That is why Jesus said, this is eternal life. They know you and they know me. This is the fountain of life. Like everything that your soul has been longing for, it comes from knowing Him. Every change that you want to experience in your life, it comes from knowing Him. Every bit of fruit that you want to bear in His service, it all just comes from simply knowing Him and more specifically knowing that He loves you. As we experience the patience that He has towards us, you know that 
you, you, can, you can mess up in so many ways. And when you go to pray and ask him for help, isn't it insane that he welcomes you back into his presence again? And that he again wants to bless you? That's a patience unlike anything we've, we've seen or experienced here on the earth before. He's so long-suffering with us. Like, really long-suffering. <laughs> As we experience his compassion, he looks at us and knows that we are weak creatures. He knows that we're fashioned from the dust, like the psalm says. He knows that we lack understanding, that we lack strength, that we lack perspective. But as you experience His compassion, the fact that He is the all-glorious one is willing to stoop all the way down to your level and then meet you where you're at and then sit with you in your mess for as long as it takes for you to be better, experiencing compassion like that transforms you to be a compassionate person. As you experience His generosity, just how many gifts He gives. Not just the general gifts that we all experience from day to day, like food and like, like air and like the sunlight and friendships and family, like general blessings that all come from Him as the Father of lights. He gives good gifts, but the specific things that are so relevant to exactly what you need. You're having a tough week financially because the car broke down. I mentioned that story here a couple of weeks ago. Our car broke down. We didn't tell anyone about it. It was quite expensive, and then the next week, pretty much the exact amount of money gets transferred into our account by someone here in the church that wanted to give a gift. We're like, oh my goodness, he is so generous. He didn't have to do that, but just because he wanted to tell me that he cares and he loves me and that he's there for me, he blesses me with this gift. You know, you're having a really bad week, and then there's that one friend that sends you that very specific message that is just the thing that you needed to hear. What is that? It's a generous God, once again, just meeting you where you're at. And as you experience that generosity of God towards you, you start becoming generous like that towards other people. You see need, and everything inside of you wants to give. You might not have anything left to give, really. It doesn't make any sense to give more, but something inside of you wants to give because it's what love does. We can go on and on and talk about so many of the other facets of God's love, but as you experience it, you become it towards other people. It's almost like, you know, when, um, when you were at school, now I don't know anything about science. I'm not going to pretend like I know stuff. Pat always blows my mind when he gets up here. He's like, it's like this illustration. And then he doesn't just like vaguely explain the concept. He like knows, like fully deep dives on that thing and gives us the full science overview on stuff. Our elders meetings are very fascinating like that because Pat just like unpacks all the science stuff. Um, and then anyway, but it's like when you're at, at science and uh, you did that experiment where you get a prism and you shine the sunlight through it and then it refracts into um, all these different colors on, on, the, on, a, on, an, on an angle. And it's like that. It's like we are like that prism. It's like the love, when the love of God hits us, it just shoots out in all these different colors and touches the things around us. And so if we want to bring that color to those around us, we want to bring that beauty to those around us, we just need to get in that spot where His light hits us, His love hits us, and it's just going to be inevitable. So that's the first thing. The re this revelation of God's love fuels community. And as a result of it fueling community, Jesus tells us that it's going to fuel mission. So verse 23, you can look to there in your Bibles. Verse 23, give me a moment as I just have a drink. Verse 23, it says, I am in them, I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So as we learn to love because he first loved us, Jesus says that the, the inevitable result of that is going to be mission. The harvest like the ingathering of the lost, 
it's going to be the inevitable outcome of us being a community that love each other with the love that He loves us. So He says specifically that they would know that the world may know that you have sent me. So if we want the world to know that Jesus is the Savior sent by God, we need to be a community of love. It says that God loves the world. Also, he says, and have loved them as you have loved me. So that God loves the world. The point is that God loves the world just as the Father loves Jesus. So this is amazing that he would tell us here that our Christ-like love that we have for one another is going to be the thing that brings the Great Commission to fulfillment. It's going to be the distinguishing mark that sets us apart. That's going to enable God to bring His kingdom to earth as it is in heaven this very moment. The distinguishing thing that's going to make it happen is us being a community of love. And we see this all throughout Scripture. So I just want to show you John 13, verse 34 to verse 35. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's going to be the thing that sets you apart from the rest of the world. It's you loving the way that Jesus loves. And then he says, in, um, John tells us in 1 John verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 9 to verse 12, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that, we have, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. So, John's saying, hey, so we have had the love of God revealed to us. And we had it revealed when Jesus was nailed to the cross. If you want to know what love looks like, it looks like God Almighty coming to earth and giving up His life sacrificially to bless you. That's what love looks like. Humbling yourself to the lowest place for the benefit of others. He says, so we've seen that love revealed. He says, but how is God revealing Himself now? You know, you can't go to to Israel and still see Jesus there nailed to a cross. You know, like we can't, we can't for ourselves go and, and see Jesus in that way. He says, but the way that God is still revealing himself today is through his people that love the same way that he loves. So no one has seen this invisible God, but on the other hand, you do see him in the way that the church loves each other. Is it? then like, it shouldn't be a surprise to us then that the world looks at us with all of our denominations and all of our different doctrines and all of our different practices and the ways that we fight with each other and think that there's nothing to this religion. It shouldn't be a surprise to us because we're carrying on the exact same way that they're carrying on. The sort of things that you see in the business world is exactly what you see in the church. One business trying to outperform another business so they can get more revenue is exactly what the church is doing. One church trying to advertise better, trying to get its social media worked out better, trying to get its look better so that it can outperform the church that's 100 meters down the road. And then we wonder why the world is so slow to buy into this message that we preach. Well, it's because of us. We're eroding every little bit of confidence that they can have in us. The message that we're trying to preach is entirely undermined by the way that we live our lives. Instead of the church being the picture of God on the earth, the church is in so many ways pointing people away from God. And it's simply because we're refusing to love. I love this um, quote by Greg Boyd. He says, Whatever else the church may be known for in the world, it is not generally known for 
exemplifying a distinctive, radical, self-sacrificial love, either towards those within the body of Christ or toward those without. The church generally has not left people with the impression that we are unique in the way we affirm the unsurpassable worth of each individual, regardless of how immoral and unlovable he or she may be. If anything, the church today is largely known for its petty divisiveness along denominational, doctrinal, social, and even racial lines. On the whole, it is perceived as being less loving and less accepting than most other communities. It is often known for its self-proclaimed and often hypocritical alliance with good against evil and for its judgmentalism towards those it concludes are evil. But tragically, as a corporate body, it, is rarely, it rarely is known as being distinctive because of its radical love. In contrast to Jesus' prayer, the world is not compelled to believe in the triune God on the grounds that His love is undeniably present among His disciples. Isn't that so true? You know, if you want to ask the world what do they think of Christians, words will come out like hypocritical. Words will come out like judgmental. Words will come out like arrogant. People that want to shove a doctrine down your throat, but they're not willing to sit with you in your pain. That's what the church looks like. And until we learn to be this beautiful community that Jesus called us to be, we're not going to see any of that change in the mission. You know, we can hold our, our open-air evangelistic rallies, and they're good, but we're lacking the power. You know, we can, we can go and do our street witnessing, but people aren't going to stick unless they rock up at this community and experience something that is otherworldly. So, the love of God produces community, and community is what enables the mission to come to fulfillment. So what is the hope of the world? Of course, it's Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It's Jesus made manifest in us. It's a community of radical, Jesus-like love. Where we forbear with one another. Where we overlook each other's sins where we put each other's interests before our own, where we are patient and we endure and we believe the best and we hope the best and we champion each other on and we spot the good in each other's lives and we call it out. You know, someone that might have no idea of the good that's in them, you spot it and you call it out. So I see it. It's beautiful. Jesus is at work there. God wants to use it. You encourage, you build up. It's a community like that. Jesus made manifest that is the hope of the world. So is that something that we're keen to go after this year? Heads up, it's going to hurt. Jesus getting nailed to a cross, it hurt. It hurts a lot when you've got to hold your tongue, when you want to defend yourself. It hurts to hold your tongue in those moments. It hurts when you hear someone do something that, that is unkind behind your back. It hurts. But to then not retaliate and to go and bless them, it hurts. Real community hurts a lot. But life comes by death. You die to yourself like Jesus died for you for the good of other people and God falls in his power and brings life. So if you can all please stand with me, music team, if you can come on up. So 2021, we want to learn how to be this community that Jesus has called us to be. And I'd love for you, um, you know, so you're just in this time of prayer, go before God and say, Lord, let it start with me. And that's where every work of revival begins. It's someone that puts up their hand before the Lord and say, God, just begin with me. Like, just do what you need to do in me. Where I'm dead, where I'm numb, where I'm not burning for you, God, meet me and revive me first. 
So it always begins. And the same thing, if we're going to be this community of radical love, it's going to begin with us saying, Jesus, start with me. Teach me to be patient and kind and sacrificial. Teach those things to me. And as that happens, we're going to see God do some incredible things here in our midst. So Father, Lord, first we just want to say that we are so grateful for how you love us. Lord, words just aren't even adequate. But that you would love us the way that you love your son. That you would see that much worth in us, Lord. You would see that much value in us. That you would hold nothing back in order to bring us into your family, to make us your sons and daughters. Lord, we are so grateful here this morning. Lord, we ask that you would give us deeper and deeper and deeper revelations of your great fatherly love. We open up our hearts to you, Lord, and we want to see more. We want to experience more. We want to taste more. Where the enemy has fed us lies and where we've been blinded by the fallenness of this world, Lord, we just invite you to come and to renew our perspective. Give us the mind of Christ. that We might know your love, Lord, as you intend for us to know it. And then we really do ask, God, that this love would bring about deep transformation in us. We know, God, that we're nowhere near loving the way that you want us to love. But we're so thankful that you meet us where we're at, with all of your kindness and compassion and patience, and you're ready, Lord, to just peel back the layers and, and wash away that which is not of you. And we ask that you would do it. Truly, Lord, for each of us, we come before you even individually here this morning and just ask that you would begin with us. Go deep. Do what you need to do. Heal what you need to heal. We pray that as you do that, Lord, that love would overflow from our lives into this church community of ours and into this world. We pray that your church would be the light that you intended it to be, that it would be the salt of the earth, that it would shine like stars in the darkness that the world would be able to look at us and see the invisible God put on display. Please do it, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.